the last time we watched the Nitro and then immediately went to record? I don't think we've ever done it this, like, in this rapid succession. Uh, it's because we're going on vacation. Well, yeah. But literally, we finished this episode 20 minutes ago? Thereabouts. Yeah. Looked into any necessary facts, and uh, I'm like, all right, let's go. So, yeah. Welcome to the Bucks and Seeds podcast, episode number 54. I was wondering if you were still keeping track of the numbers. <laughs> It'll be important until we hit 100, and then I'm going to stop caring. Yeah. Emily, what is it here we do on this show? Well, Nick, we take a week-by-week look at the... Oh, I keep missing up the second line. The, we we look at the week-by-week slow but inevitable downfall of WCW, but we are trudging toward the impending doom. Is that the new phrasing? I messed this up last time, too. We have a branding problem, I think, is the issue. Well, we had that line so down, and then you decided to change the words. Which, like, the words aren't wrong. It is trudging towards an impending doom. Some weeks more so than others, but uh, I'm Nick alongside Emily. As always, we have a nice fresh bottle of wine open. We are taking some sippy sips. Yep, it's just to avoid ice clanging. <laughs> don't don't spill our secrets. Don't spill the wine. I'm not spilling the wine. You you will likely spill the wine. I have started to have this irrational fear. It's guess it's not irrational knowing me. Um, so as you guys know, we are planning our wedding. And the drinks that I drink are red wine and red colored cocktails, like a vodka cranberry or a Bay Breeze or such. I am the clumsiest person in the world and I spill all over myself constantly. My wedding dress is going to be trash by the end of the night. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'll be fine. Oh yeah, you're wearing like dark colors. You'll be fine. So today we'll be talking about the September 13th, 1999 Monday Nitro. It's the first one in a few weeks where... Uh, they actually have competition, and it's the first show after Fall Brawl 1999, a show that was overall not great. No. And the two Nitros leading up to this also weren't great, but they were unopposed. And this episode, while also not fantastic, pretty damn good. But it was opposed. Why? Why wouldn't you take the time in the unopposed weeks to have a good show so that people would want to come back to you when you are opposed? I don't understand your marketing. Whoever runs your marketing department, fucking fire them. I know this was 20 years ago. I don't care. So the last time they were opposed, Nitro did a 2.9. Over the two weeks in between, they did a 4 and a 4.1 in the ratings. What do you think this week? I'm going to say split the difference and say it was like a 3.2. 3.3. Oh, okay. Yeah, not as much of a drop as I would have thought. Raw did see more of an increase. It went from a 4.4 to a 6. Jeez. Yeah, they're still holding steady for a little while longer. I don't know when the threes fully disappear, but... There were some moments in this episode where we both looked at each other like, what the hell are we watching? But not to the point of stopping the show. Yeah. Which, there were points of that with the two unopposed episodes. Yes. Like, I wanted to claw my eyes out. I think that came across in the podcast. So there's a weird bit of coincidence timing right now. Because we're talking about the September 13th, 1999 Nitro. This is the first post-Eric Bischoff era Monday Nitro. Oh. In real time, this is the first episode of the podcast we are recording that is post-Vince McMahon. Can we kind of like talk about that for a second? And additionally, the next night on the SmackDown taping in 1999, Vince oh. McMahon will win the WWF title. Whoa, okay, yeah. So weird, perfect storm wild. of like wild timing. Those glitch in the matrix moments. Seriously. Yeah, but I 
still am not convinced that Vince McMahon is truly retired. I know that it keeps like they. It's a work, brother. I have been. It's not a work. I have been so hell bent on like whenever a wrestler says they're retiring, they're not fucking retired. They always come back. So somewhere in my brain is like Vince McMahon is not retired. Oh, but so for what it's worth, via whatever like FCC reporting or whatever. He is not announced as retired. It was like he was like released or stepping down or something. He did he did not file retirement paperwork. But I also can see Vince McMahon as the kind of person who's too proud to say that they've retired because that shows weakness or age or something. Yeah, and we're recording this uh, right before SummerSlam, like literally a few hours before. So if anything insane happens, then I don't know. We don't know about it yet. We don't know. It's a wrestling filled day in the. Uh... In the butts in the seats household. In the bits house. Bits house, cute. So let's get, actually get into this nitro, because again, not a bad show. This really week. isn't. Relatively. Well, I'll just say this right off the bat: if you didn't watch Fall Brawl or the last three weeks of programming, fear not—they recap it all like minute by fucking minute. Yeah, if you didn't watch the shows that were unopposed. Don't worry, they got you. The amount of recaps we had in this episode made me think back to when we were longing for a recap. And now I'm like, why did I even ask? I, I brought this upon myself. Be careful what you wish for in wrestling, man. So they are live this week from the University of North Carolina. Yeah, we opened with last week's Nitro recap, including Bret Hart challenging Hulk Hogan. Remember that? And the whole Sting, Hogan, and Luger saga, which we did not get any additional clarity on the um, on the lights going out, nor Macho Man at any point recently. No. I really thought after that recap, because they went back and showed the clip again of Macho in the, the dressing room, I really thought we were going to see him. I want to say he does show up at some point. I know. For like you've said one that week. before, but like... They keep showing him in these recaps. Why show him if they don't intend to use that as context? Now, one thing they also did not pick up from last week, and there's no real better time to talk about it than now because it's something that, because it's two things that didn't happen. One, I will just say there is no pianist this week. Bummer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I didn't hear a single bit of information about the million dollar giveaway. I forgot about that. They didn't even say, oh, it's canceled. There's like, no. Maybe if we just don't talk about Drop it. Drop it. They'll forget. That's why the ratings went up. It's like, oh. Everyone <laughs> tuned in to see if they could win a million dollars. Sucks to suck. We then get the Nitro opening and, and the opening pyro. Tony and Bobby check in. Tony recaps last night's main event and all the various title changes. He then throws to a clip from last week of... Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko's match being interrupted by Sid. Production is all over the place tonight. Mm -hmm. And it kind of starts here because they clearly want the Nitro theme to play over this, but they don't know how loud they want it to play. Yeah. And it's jumping up and down quite a bit. Because also it doesn't start until like 10 right. seconds into the clip. So it sounds like it's a mistake. Yeah. And they just keep going up and down. And there's a lot of weird production stuff this week. Yeah. Production wants to be a little bit more fanciful or at least a little bit more high-end, and they just don't know how to do it. Or they don't have the clearance to do it. One of the two. I don't know. Well, the reason we're seeing that match is because we're going to do it again. I might have said that led to absolutely nothing, which I guess technically last week it did, but 
Yeah, we're now doing the Chris Benoit versus Dean Malenko match, and winner gets a WCW title shot against Sting later in the night. Remember that. This episode's going to be full of put a pin in that. Yeah. I th- I guess he's at ringside, but because Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko come out to the same music, when it starts up, Shane Douglas just yells from somewhere, like, are you ready for a revolution? And I'm like, where are you? Shane Douglas needs to chill. Overall, anytime he is out during this uh, this show, he is going too hard, doing too much. It's not about you, bud. It's probably never going to be about you. I have to ask, did you think this was going to be another non-finish yes. match? Yes, so did I. I also didn't know that this was a rematch because, again, they came out to the same music. So I thought that it was going to be a revolution match versus Yeah, whoever. and when Shane Douglas is yelling, it's like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah. And there's like, oh, no, they're just no, doing No, they're fighting each other. I got. I was really confused at the very beginning. They open up with some very good technical wrestling. Shocker. They end up going to the outside a little bit after that, and they start like brawling. And Shane Douglas and Perry Saturn break it up, and they're like, "Get the fuck in the ring! What are you doing? What are yeah. you doing?" Like it turns into like a weird kind of heated brawl. And yeah, it's like no, 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 no. We're we're, we're buds. Don't make this weird. Right. Just just do your match. This match is so smooth and just snappy, and I, I don't have a lot of notes for it just because I was just enjoying watching it. Yeah, I figured this would be one that you would enjoy. I didn't love it. I thought, like, I, I know that these guys are good wrestlers, and I know it was good technical wrestling, but I always like the first match of the show to be something more high-flying. Like, I I can't even say to keep the audience involved, because the audience was really hot for this match. It just didn't keep my interest. With the exception of this match having a finish and last week's not, I think I did like last week's match better. Yeah. But still a pretty good match. It was a good match. I would never say it's not. Benoit misses a dropkick and Malenko rolls Benoit into a knee bar. On commentary, we hear that later on tonight, we will get Berlin versus Buff Bagwell. And I'm like, why? Well, that was the match that was supposed to happen, remember? Yeah, and then Buff went, I don't want a job. So I'm like, why is this match happening then? Because someone backstage was like, get your ass out there and job. (laughs) In a spot we will see very many times tonight, Dean Malenko goes up to the top rope and gets caught and Benoit hits a superplex. In a nice spot, Malenko rolls through a German suplex and almost manages to pin Benoit. We get a back suplex from Benoit, and he signals for the diving headbutt. He goes up top, but then Dean Malenko turns that into a superplex. In midair, Benoit manages to turn just a little bit, and upon landing, gets Dean in an inside cradle and manages to pin Dean Malenko. So, your winner of a title shot later on tonight, Chris Benoit. Yeah, I thought this was a good match. I know it's not the high energy. It's not my cup of tea, but I can acknowledge that it was a good match. This is one of those matches that's like, no one can deny this is this is wrestling. This is good technical wrestling. It's like, I don't know. I've never really been a huge fan of Triple H. I know he's a good wrestler, but I've never been a huge fan of him. But everyone loves him. So like the audience was hot for this match. I didn't care. That's unfortunate. I know. I know it's unfortunate, but I can acknowledge that it was a good match. I would never say these guys are bad wrestlers just wasn't my favorite there's a match later on that is my favorite that involves the semi the same guys yeah that match will come later but this is a night of just like this is a night of random matches that you're not really sure why they're happening yeah. sometimes and even this one they just seemed like okay we're not doing anything with that whole thing last week like oh no now we are yeah right yeah so again later tonight chris benoit versus sting do you Bo- think there's booking. a chance that after the fuckery of Last or last night or was it last night or last week that this original match happened? Uh, last week. Okay. Do you think after that the revolution went to production and was like, 
that's not fair. That's not the match we deserved. We demand a rematch. No, I think they would have been told going in what was going to yeah. happen with all that. They may have gone to them and went, wow, this that makes the whole thing look fucking pointless. Yeah, I'm wondering if they said something which warranted this this rematch. Moving on, let's go to the ring and we get Mean Gene bringing out the hometown boy making his return. It's Ric Ooh. Flair, who we speculated would be back and we were right. We were right. And he gets a pretty good pop, but... We popped fucking huge in our house <laughs> because Emily, it's back. We got it. Oh, man! Woo! My God! I'm back, baby! Woo! I just wrote, fuck yes. Yeah, it was a good one, too. I mean, after him being gone so long, it kind of needs to be a good one to come back to. It was a little strange that he just came back as a face and everything was fine. Because last yeah, we saw him, I he... I guess technically, he last time he was not the president. He had lost the presidency, was around for like two weeks, and then just vanished. Well, aren't you the one that told me that wrestling has a three-month memory? I, I don't know if I told you that, but yeah, I mean, that's what it's meant to be. Yeah, and he was gone for more than three months. So, it's a clean slate. Although you did note at the very beginning of this Gene thing, even before we get the mean Wu Gene, um, that Gene cites that there has been a lot of changes in WCW in the last 36 hours. And you were thinking that the reason that we get Ric Flair back is because Bischoff is no longer with us. Oh, I think Ric Flair all but confirms that in his promo. Does he? I guess I didn't. Miss, I didn't listen to like the actual. He verbiage. doesn't. Nobody says Eric Bischoff, but it. It's pretty much the reason is that Flair and Bischoff do not get along. Yeah. And it's like, oh, now now that Bischoff's gone, it's like, oh, we can use Ric Flair again. Okay. But Gene asks where Ric Flair has been. And Flair's like, brother, I don't even know. I was, I had a heart attack. I was in an insane asylum. Just like running through the stories. But then he goes into like real stuff. He's like, my daughter got married. My son's in the industry now. My other daughter's a varsity cheerleader. My 13-year-old daughter's, yeah, is a cheerleader. <laughs> Our first shout-out to Charlotte. Reed Flair just won some random child's wrestling tournament in Japan. Yeah, so, like, some of that stuff was real-life stuff, but then he's also like, yeah, I was institutionalized, I had a heart attack. But do you even know when Ric Flair starts and ends? Like, Rick gets fired up, and he cuts... <laughs> Just that high-energy Ric Flair promo where you're not really sure what's going on, mm -hmm. but you're enjoying the ride. Oh, exactly. And he notes that he's free for the first time in years, basically referring to Eric Bischoff not oh, being in okay. charge of the show. I guess, yeah. I can see that. Because, I mean, at the start of this podcast, they were doing the Ric Flair-Eric Bischoff storyline, which was very much mirroring real-life feelings. Right. God, that's, that feels like eons ago. Oh, Yeah. In a line I didn't love, he's like, Hogan and me and you have a date with destiny. And I'm like, we can be done. We Yeah. I know you'll wrestle in TNA, but we can be done. Yeah. He and Gene then start talking about Sting. And Flair notes that he's, dis that he's basically disappointed in Sting's heel turn. Yeah, he noted that, like, yeah, I took my eyes off the industry for six months. And now all of a sudden, Sting's the, uh, Sting's the champion. I want to say later he says six weeks. I don't know. He, I think he starts by saying six months, and then later he's like, oh, like six weeks ago. He definitely did say six months, and I remember thinking, like, there's no way it was six months. But this brings out Lex Luger and Sting, and Lex Luger has the baseball bat with him. Threatening. Flair just says, like, 
go to go to the back. Go read the format. This says Ric Flair, ten minutes, my time. <laughs> Sting smirks at him and notes how far back they go, and also notes how often Flair has like suckered him in and stabbed him in the back. At least he's acknowledging it now. Sting's kind of an idiot. And Sting points to him winning the title last night. Like, look, I learned from the dirtiest player in the game. Like, you're disappointed to me. Like, who the fuck do you think you are, Ric Flair? Yeah. Sting says deep down he respects Flair and offers Ric Flair the chance to leave peacefully. It's like, all right, we're taking over the segment. Sting does note that, like, yeah, Ric Flair is pretty much the guy who made me. And Flair agrees. He then gets fired up and then goes, actually, you know what? I'll leave. Leaves the ring, comes back. Gene goes, not. And then Ric Flair goes, not. And I'm like, wow. In case you forgot, this is 1999. (laughs) Sting says he's been waiting patiently for 10 years to take the ball and run with it. And it's like, no, it's our time now. You you are the past. Luger grabs the mic, which I think immediately prompts Luger sucks chance. Yeah, it does. Once again, offers Ric Flair to like, okay, you can you can leave right now, and you're fine. Like you you gave me the nickname, the total package. Package. He also notes that 1999 has been the year of the like graceful sports retirement. And it's like, all right, has it? He mentioned a couple people where uh, it was like Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, and John Elway was the football one. I don't think there was a baseball one he listed. And they all retired in '99. Yeah. Flair actually notes, I was ready to retire until I saw last week. Oh, please. No, you weren't. And again, this is the shit that makes me question the Vince McMahon retirement. I don't know. I have I have trust issues when it comes to retirements and wrestlers. I wonder if they'll ever bring him back as just an on-screen character. Vince? Yeah, just, just, yeah just, that's what I'm thinking. Just, Probably. Just a talent contract. Probably. Flair says he respects Sting and... And pretty much asking, like, all right, like, you have the title. Are we doing this? What are we, you know, what are we doing here? Luger then blindsides Flair. The two beat him down. Luger puts Flair in the torture rack and then Sting locks in the Scorpion Deathlock afterwards until Hulk Hogan and a topless Bret Hart intervene. I did not recognize Bret Hart when he came down. Looked I literally like said, Kidman. who is that? Yeah, he looked like Billy Kidman. I didn't like it. Put your shirt on, Bret. This was the longest segment ever. Yes, I don't, I don't think we did justice because the segment's not over either. But I noted what a cursed trio in the ring of Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, and Ric Flair. Three men who just want nothing to do with each other. Yeah, well. And I guess we should know, considering I said we're, we're recording this the day of SummerSlam. It is the day before the Ric Flair's last match pay-per-view. And the day after the roast of Ric Flair. Yes, and we obviously... We haven't watched it. Yeah, we've not watched one, and we obviously have not watched the other. We'll We'll have a lot more to talk about next time we record. Next time we watch WCW, uh, because our next episode is not WCW. Hogan grabs the mic and challenges Sting and Luger to a tag team match. He then gives Bret Hart the mic, who starts cutting, you know, his short little bit of the promo. And before Bret's even done, Hogan's, like, reaching and, like, no, my my mic, give give it back. Hulk Hogan will always get the last word, and it's so annoying. Hulk Hogan has, Hulk Hogan here has, you hand someone your, your phone to show them a photo, and they start scrolling energy. Oh, 100%. We then go backstage, and Lex Luger's like, oh, well, I don't know what they're thinking. I'm not cleared for a match, so we're, basically, we're leaving, and I'm like, Sting already has a match, too. We're just ignoring that? Lex is just such a little baby back bitch about it. He's like, oh, I'm not clear. I don't even have my gear, like. I can't wrestle. What are they even thinking? Like, But they don't note that Sting has a match no. until literally it's already, like, until Chris Benoit comes out later. Right, yeah. 
We'll see if we get either match later tonight. This segment was very long, a bit of a mess, but I didn't think it was bad. It, it had a line to it, so I, it made sense, but it was a little chaotic because it's a whole bunch of men in the ring who don't go off of scripts and need to have the last word, so it's annoying. But like, there was a linear story to it. It made sense. It was just so long. So long. Like We're probably nearing the first hour mark, which, I mean, good for them that they actually are using the first hour to do important things because i guess so yeah they've been struggling with that lately i guess yeah but it was just so fucking long (laughs) you're right like they did good but it was one match in one segment and it took the entire first hour woof pretty close to it at least hard to say because we don't have commercials well yeah tony and bobby then try to get the main points in that segment across i think even they struggle a little bit and they then throw to nitro stills of last night's main event Another recap. We see backstage Berlin arriving with the complete entourage. He's like a whole ass motorcade. We then go up to the ramp and Ricky Rackman is here, <laughs> your favorite guy. He does use the filthy animals moniker, which is really getting some play in this episode. Yeah, they like it. It has stuck. But he's here for the diva search or whatever. Where does the he nitro call girl that? Search. Yeah. Or search for the next nitro girl. They don't have like a name for it, really. Yeah. Or if they do, they're not saying it a lot. Ricky brings out Kimberly and Spice, who, I'll remind you, I, men- I mentioned the last episode, have heat with the other Nitro Girls. Yeah, remind me why? Basically, I think, for being the face of the Nitro Girls. And well, the other Nitro like, Girls should get good. It's like, you think you're better than us? Yes. We are better than you. I'll show you. I'm going to go marry Shawn Michaels. Have fun. I get punched in the face by Chris Jericho in nine years. Have fun. You can't dance. There were no Nitro Girls in this episode. No, there's not. Huh. Well, minus this. Minus but. this, but there was no dance segments. Wow, huh. I didn't even realize that. I wonder how much they fizzle out. I wonder if that was very much an Eric Bischoff thing, and now that he's gone, it's like... But they're searching for a new one. Yeah, that is the problem. They replay the Zuli video from last week. And yeah, Because she is the finalist. She yeah, is, she, she won. won. Yeah, between well, she, the two Miami girls. Yeah, she beat out... What's her face? And for reference, Zuli was the one who is an ASL interpreter. And turned her love of dance into a love of signing because using her body is just like using her hands and it's important to communicate. Whatever. She is way too wholesome for this whole thing. She's also cuter than either the two girls we get for for Raleigh. Okay, Ricky Rackman. They have to be hot. Like, shut up. Well, they also were like, oh, these girls are way hotter than the ones in Miami. It's like, all right. They're going to say that about every city. Yeah. So, Emily, who do we have first? So first up, we meet Allison, who is originally from St. George, Utah. Allison, with one of the more annoying spellings of it. With a Y in it, yeah. yeah. If you have a name that's spelled with a Y that should be spelled without a Y, it's you're annoying. Sorry. That's why you're legally changing your name to Emily with an I. E-M-Y-L-Y. <laughs> God, I'd be such a pain in the ass. Anyway. So yeah, Allison from St. George, Utah. She has danced through high school. She went on to... Dance with a more established group in Wisconsin. And then she moved to Charlotte to find more professional dance opportunities. Not much of a personality on her. No, she is soft-spoken. But did you see how tall she is? No. I think Holy the- shit, she's tall. I didn't, They didn't say like a number, but she stood up on the stage next to um, next to Spice and Ricky. And I was like, damn. 
girl's got legs. She also looked like somebody who was not ready to be on camera no. that day. Because she looked fine when she came out in front of the live crowd. But you know the saying, the, the, the camera adds 10 pounds? Yeah. The camera added 10 years to her face in, in the interview. Oh, I've noticed that with a couple of people. Like, especially the men. Like, when they get close-ups on some of the male wrestlers, like Goldberg. I noticed it tonight. Like, the resolution of the camera does not do anyone justice. All right, Emily, who is Allison up against? Allison is up against Ashley, the hometown hero from Charlotte, North Carolina. She is different from Allison because she doesn't really seem to have much of a dancing background, but she likes wrestling and she likes the potential opportunities that it would give women. I'm one of the few women who likes wrestling. The fact that she's cited, like, I like what wrestling can do for women. I'm like, you're not watching the product. She named one group and one person. Do you remember who it was? Dusty Rhodes and the Four Horsemen. Yep. I guarantee those were fed to her. I don't know. I mean, if, if you're from North Carolina, I, I wonder how much you kind of... I mean, maybe. But if you're going to talk about how much opportunity wrestling gives women, I would like to believe that you're watching WWE, not WCW, because there are no women on the WCW roster. At least WWF has something. No, there's Medusa. No. And um, Mona. No. When was the last time we saw them? They had like one match together. No, no, it wasn't. They were supposed to face each other, right. and then they didn't do it. But at least on WWF, you have like, oh, who's on there right now? Ivory, Sable, um, Sable. Who's the um... the cat? Terry Runnels. Yeah, you have like Jacqueline too. Like they're good wrestlers, but they don't get a lot of airtime. But at least like they're doing something. They're you're, not just like looking. You're telling at my tits. me like you're telling me. That, well, again, the cat is on screen. I guess yeah. Well, Ch- China's also around, but she's not in the, China, yeah, she's not in the women's division yet. Yeah, at least they have a women's division. But anyway. So I, we don't know the answer to this. Emily, who do you got moving on next week? Basically, it go it comes down to the established dancer or the wrestling fan. And per what Kimberly says after this, I'm thinking we're going with the wrestling fan. Because Kimberly says, we're not looking for professional dancers. We're just looking for somebody with a, a big personality. And then Ricky Rackman adds, and no ugly girls. Yeah. If you're ugly, don't show up. To which like both Kimberly and Spice kind of rolled their eyes to that. But I think Kimberly's was kind of serious. Because if you look at her face versus Spice, Spice is like, oh, come on, Ricky, don't say that. And Kimberly was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, she, like, took a step back and threw her head back. I was like, dude. Did you get Spice's line about where they're going to be next week? Cincinnati? Yep. We're going to put the sin in Cincinnati. Ew. Like, Spice. Be better. Please. We're rooting for you. We're all rooting for you. About this whole general segment, I just wrote woof. This whole search is just weird, especially because of what you said of like the Nitro girls fizzling out, which they very clearly are. Why are we why are we searching for a new girl? What's the point of this? Yeah, like I I know by like next summer most of them are in storylines, not you know, performing not weekly. Performing. So that's why they don't want professional dancers. So I guess we'll find out next week who's moving on. This all culminates in a few weeks in like Arizona or something. I don't remember. But But yeah, we both have our money on Ashley. Metaphorical money. We have zero money on this. <laughs> well it doesn't help that we know the winner. Fair. I just don't, I still have no idea what's gonna happen when they get to the finals. Like is it gonna be a tournament then or just yeah. gonna be like a, all right now everyone votes What on... if it's a dance off? What if it's a dance battle? It's actually a rap battle. Oh my god. Do like a RuPaul thing, lip sync for your life. Oh my god. There I don't think it was a rap battle, but in one of the early Diva Search seasons or whatever, they they did basically a like, all right, run down your competition, and one person the enti- like for almost the entirety of their promo had to be bleeped. 
Me. <laughs> That'd be me. <laughs> Let's move on. We go backstage in one of those, like, why are we seeing this kind of moments? There but shouldn't be a camera here sort of things. J.J. Dillon is on the phone. He needs an update on the medical status of Lex Luger. Apparently Lex Luger has been cleared for three weeks. <gasps> J.J. Dillon also has to reiterate the other end of the phone call so the audience knows what's going on. What do you mean Lex Luger's been cleared medically for three weeks? What's that, Lassie? <laughs> it's pretty much what it was. It was yeah. very... Let's keep moving on. I think this is where I noted we are a third of the way through the show. And we're doing another recap. Yeah, we get Sid and Benoit Nitro stills from from last night. So many fucking and let's move into our second match of the night. And the match itself is Eric Watts versus the Disco Inferno. And I think we need to change Surge Watch to Sid Watch. Absolutely. However, now I'm not liking Sid Watch because now it's a thing. What do you mean? Well, we'll talk about that when we go through. But first, let's talk about Eric Watts' gear. What the hell was this? The black jeans with the random large yellow triangles coming up from the ankles. Oh, I, I don't know. I just didn't know who the guy was, so I was confused why we were even watching him. Yeah, he's the for, he's the son of one of the former bookers of WCW. So. I recognize the name, but I just don't recognize his face. Well, and we, he's not good. Well, we saw him wrestle David Flair, and we were like, oh, he's a lot better than David Flair. Well, the bar is really low. When yeah. the bar is underground, we can probably clear it. There was a few moments early on where I'm like, oh, no. And one of them is Disco hits his swinging neck breaker, which is a bump. You're like bent over, and then you just turn and land on your back. He somehow manages to do a 360 and lands on his face. <laughs> oh, honey. We get a very soft buckle bomb to Disco Inferno. Eric Watts then taunts the Disco move and then hits maybe the worst splash I've ever seen in my life. I called it a very sad splash. He basically, he doesn't jump. He just kind of like... He lifts one leg off the ground and, and like, like... swings forward. Yeah, just like puts his arms out and just kind of falls. There's no It was impact. not a splash. It was more of a belly flop. Even that's too much credit. Maybe. That implies impact. True. Yeah, I don't know what to call it. It was bad. It we was th- bad. We then get a real bad kick to Disco's ribs right after that. And I'm like, oh, this is why people don't like you. <laughs> Got it. Disco misses his dancing elbow drop. And after that, we talked about the production stuff. They just blatantly are piping in Sid chants. Like, not even trying to match the, the, the visual or energy. So can I go off on this a little bit? Sure. So, yeah, we noted the piped-in Sid chance, and that was already weird. And that kind of got my brain thinking as this segment continued. Was this match intended by production to be bad? Because they pipe in the Sid chance, and then they find a sign in the audience and focus on it that says, Boring, where is Sid? To which I think they planted that. And then... Potentially. And then they cut to a shot of Sid backstage, which means they had this shot ready because he was sitting in front of a tv he had lines like this was this was prepared this isn't just like off the cuff so to me this was a production setup yeah i guess it does come down to whether or not that was a plant or not i mean he's since been interfering in matches constantly i know but the fact that they focused on that as they were piping in the sid chance made me think they can't get that lucky it felt it felt mean oh it absolutely felt mean i was like this wasn't You've put on worse matches that have had, you know, you've given full attention to. And that's why I'm hoping they that production intentionally tried to make this a bad match. Like, they went out and told Eric and Disco, like, 
don't put your all into this. Like, uh, well, just fake it till you make it. Well, no, I think the way they did that was by putting Eric Watts in a match. You're probably right. But I'm trying to think, like, production had to have had some sort of say in this. Because what if it ended up being a beautiful match that the audience was into, and then all of a sudden, oh, boring. Like, then it doesn't work. So it had to be a bad match. I mean, they didn't, I don't think they cared, considering they piped in the chance. But it wouldn't have made sense if it was a good match, though. Mm. Like, what if they did this during the Dean and um, Benoit match earlier? That wouldn't make sense. You're telling me they're not ballsy enough to do that? I'm not saying they're not ballsy. I'm just saying that 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 would not make sense. This makes sense. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving production too much credit, but there were too many things that had to land in place. You're also giving them credit for, let's just blatantly put on a bad product. If they're trying to tell a story and they're trying to get the Sid thing, then I don't. I mean, Sid talks later. I don't even really get what they're going for here. But let's 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 uh, let's get it to that point. So when they're focusing on that sign, they then go to like split screen, and right. Sid is just backstage cutting a real mumbly promo. In the ring, Disco hits a stunner and gets the pin. And then he starts going off on his post match. Yeah, Disco promo. fever hits. Like they're both talking. It Sid's cuts... mumbling, Disco's yelling, like, I can't hear anything that's happening. Yeah, Sid is sitting backstage, and then it goes full screen to Disco, and within, like, four seconds, Sid is in the ring, standing behind Disco. It was a cool-looking shot of yeah. Sid looking insane right behind him, but I'm like, what the, what is happening? The logistics of that would have never worked, which is why I know that was a pre-planned bit. Yeah, Sid chokeslams Disco, powerbombs Eric Watts, and pins him. He then goes to powerbomb Disco, and... The music starts playing as he's getting him in position, and in the middle of the rotation, Sid's lighting cue hits, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, they were trying to do a lot. And then at one point, they like cut to a wide shot of the audience as well while Sid is doing a powerbomb. I didn't know it. I mean, it, it's all over the place. It was weird. Sid has the mic and has to shout over the music for the first few lines of the promo. I'm like, stop playing his music. You know, you have the format. What are you doing? This is why I'm thinking, like, production wants to do a lot more than they have capability for. I mean, capability is relative. Well, I think if they had a better team and better communication amongst that team, then this stuff could work. Stuff like the volume and the lighting cue, like, that comes down to poor communication with the production team. On the mic, Sid takes issue with Bobby Heaton calling him dumb. I'm like, that's not going anywhere. Well. He shouts, and I honestly did not get much of this promo. Nope. The only thing I did note is it does seem like they're really hitting the Goldberg note harder. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe? He then decides to close it out by powerbombing and pinning Disco, so he is now 82-0. and 0. Whoa. Reminder, the Goldberg streak is 173. He's getting there. No, he's not. Getting there. Let's move on to a red herring match. Honestly. It is Silver King versus... Ooh. They're returning Norman Smiley. I haven't seen Norman in a minute. Yeah, Silver King it used to be part of the LWO. Looks insane mm. coming out here. Yeah, he's in a very shiny outfit. Just even his facials when he's like walking down the ramp. I'm like, what is your character? Spoilers, it won't matter much. <laughs> but yeah, it was good to see Norman Smiley back. He's capable. He gets the crowd oh, yeah. into it. and We didn't really get an obvious big wiggle. We got like no, mini, we got mini one. wiggles. We got one. We got little wiggles. Silver King hits a somersault leg drop early on, and these two don't really have a lot of chemistry. No, but I was impressed with Silver King in ring. Now knowing that he was one of the LWO guys, like it makes more sense. He didn't he didn't do bad. It was not a bad showing for him. He looked a little frantic for my mm. taste. Norman Wheelbarrow spanks Silver King and the crowd goes nuts. Oh my god, he touched his butt. 
maybe it wasn't to completion, but I thought Norman basically did the big wiggle after that. They didn't call it out as the big wiggle. True. So, I don't know. But you know who does not love the big wiggle? Sid. Sid. Sid's back. Suddenly Sid. Did you miss him? I really miss him. When he, Whenever he's not on my screen, I get sad. Even if it's for 30 fucking seconds. Sid comes down, chokeslams Silver King, power bombs Norman Smiley, and pins both men. I'm bored with this. I'm bored. This is so annoying. He's now 84 now. I'm bored. It's the same shit every day. I don't know if it's better or worse that he's coming down for matches that, like, of course it's going to be a Sid thing. The match starts with me going, oh, who's that? We know it's ending with Sid. Or the ICP, but they didn't do any of that this week. No, no, no one owes them anymore. You owe me. All the debts have been paid. <laughs> I don't get why they put these two together, though, because, yeah, they did not have chemistry. So no. it seemed weird that this. I these think they just had... wanted Norman Smiley to have time on air again. Yeah, it has been probably a few months. Yeah. Let's move on to match number three of ten, I think you noted for today. Yeah. Yeah, and we only had one match in the first hour. Sorry, this match this four. This match number four, yeah. This match is a heel versus heel tag team match. It is Steve Regal and Dave Taylor versus the Wyndhams with Kurt Hennig. And and here, but not listed on the nameplate for some reason, is uh, Curly Bill, a.k.a. Vincent. I really don't think that his name is Curly Bill. I just don't. Even commentary called him Vincent. I know. Maybe one of those things where I'm pretty sure he gets called that later. It might be the same as like, the Filthy Animals, where I just oh, like, Bill. it's just in my brain, like, oh yeah, he does this for like, you know, probably a few weeks, but... Curly Bill is a terrible wrestling name. It's pretty standard action, this match. Nothing terribly interesting to note. Oh, I have, like, no notes for it. It does look like Barry Windham is wearing a wig, which is weird. Pretty constant tags throughout this one. They're trying to keep it fresh, where, like, there's never really a lull in this match, but there's never really a high, either. Exactly. It stays very medium. Very one, lukewarm. At one point, Kurt Henning gets on the apron, and Regal just knocks him off. It's like, no, I'm also a heel. I know this fucking game. Yeah, that's kind of where the heel versus heel really doesn't work. But the finish of this match is Curly Bill getting on the apron and no. Yeah. No. He gets on the apron and then they do a little dosy do in the ring and Kurt Hennig hits Regal with a cowbell and it's unclear if Barry Windham's supposed to just pin Regal or roll him up because Windham gets the pin and Steve Regal beats Barry Windham to his feet after being hit with a cowbell. Yeah. Which is usually a this knocks you out spot. So it was kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, he just popped right back up. I don't I don't know if it was like a sign of disrespect or something. It was strange, especially because he's not out the door. But Emily, this is the last Steve Regal match we will see on the podcast oh. until WrestleMania X7. Really? Yeah. That's disappointing. I know he sticks around for a little longer, but I want to say it's all on Thunder and Worldwide and... It's not on, he's not wrestling on Nitro. He might appear, but Damn. very short stint for Steve Regal. We were very really excited short. to see him and he's already gone. They didn't do much with him and now he's gone. That's such a bummer. Well, he's eventually off to better things, but oh, yeah. he has a while before then. He's not the commissioner till late 2000 because Foley's the commissioner for like the middle bit of 2000. Okay. Yeah. So I guess he just kind of yeah, I don't know what he does. putzing around for a little while. Well, speaking of putzing around, uh. We get Jerry Flynn and Jimmy Hart coming out for a match against Prince Iakea. Except just kidding. Yeah, before Prince Iakea can come out, uh, Goldberg just suddenly appears on the screen, leaving his locker room and is escorted to Gorilla by uh, security. You see Prince Iakea there with like arms out like, what? what? I did think that was kind of shitty. <laughs> it, it was. Like, nah, fuck you, Iakea. I want to I wanna talk. 
well, you know, Prince Iakea totally gets all the TV time that man needs. Give him a fucking chance. Like, I don't want to see you just have a chat. Like, this is wasn't Jerry Jerry Flynn versus Iakea was not going to be a long match. Like, let them go for two minutes and then interrupt him. I don't know. Let them well, have some time. Well, I figured it was going to be another Sid thing. Mm. And it kind of was. Because Goldberg comes out, no pyro for him. Breaking his mother's heart. Wait, no. No, that was Bret Hart earlier. <laughs> Honestly. Broke my heart. Broke my Bret Hart. I did appreciate that Goldberg grabs the mic and does actually apologize to Jerry Flynn. Like, hey, I'm sorry, bud, but like, I got to come out and talk. It's like, it's dickish, but I appreciate you acknowledging that you are taking someone else's time. It's dickish, but at least you know you're being a dick. That makes it fine. Goldberg says he's run out of patience and finally addresses Sid. And I'm like, Jesus, finally. Mm-hmm. What you been waiting for, bud? Waiting for him to become an actual friend. He admires his skill and his strength, but not his mouth. Will not stand for your mouth. Yeah, he's going to put stop to it tonight. Goldberg notes that Sid's basically cheated for his record, as opposed mm-hmm. to just coming out and having matches. It's true. Tonight he draws the line and he's going to stomp a hole in Sid's ass. He challenges Sid to a one-on-one match and find out who the man is. He also drops his catchphrase, which we haven't really heard in a while, which is the, like, you're next kind of thing. Oh, yeah. We then go picture in picture to Mumbly Sid. So do you think that Goldberg in the ring could see Mumbly Sid on the Jumbotron? Yes, because he does actually kind of note what Sid was saying. Does he? Okay. Very briefly. But Sid... Basically, he's not going to come out. He knows it'll happen when I say it's going to happen, and he leaves for the night. Basically, this is my show. Fuck you. Because we need to end of the segment, Jerry Flynn then hits Goldberg. Goldberg spears him, jackhammers him, and I thought he was going to pin him for a second, but I'm glad he didn't because it's not a match. Jerry, why'd you even try, bud? I think you could see it was Jimmy Hart being like, hit, hit him, him, hit him. Get him. It's Max's turn. It was just pathetic. A second, The second Jerry went for that like kick, it's like, buddy, how do you think this is going to end? I want to say Jerry Flynn's like the, the, the top three people Goldberg beat most for his streak, too. Probably. It's like, I think it's basically the, the fucking first family is the list. Mm. I'm so excited to watch the Rose of Claire because of Brian Nobbs. I want to see what that man looks like in 2022. Oh. I don't want to look it up. I just want to see it. Oh, no. I thought this segment was fine. I'm glad they actually are moving into a Goldberg-Sid program, or at least it seems that way. Yeah. God, if they don't. I wouldn't be surprised either way. It, it's not like either man set anything up with anyone else tonight. So. No. Plot twist. They're going to do Jerry Flynn versus Goldberg at the pay-per-view. <laughs> so let's keep moving. We get Harlem Heat fall brawl stills. Then we get Harlem Heat in action. It's Hugh Morris and Brian Nobbs with Jimmy Hart versus Harlem Heat for the WCW Tag Team titles. Four Harlem Heat come out. And Brian Nobbs heals on the crowd just for a little extra heat. Nothing too much of note. And Harlem Heat actually have matching gear again. I'm like, okay, good. Yeah, good for them. They, they figured it out. Congratulations. Stevie Ray is in the ring to start, so it starts very slow. Of course. Booker drop kicks both men at once, and then the heels bail until they just decide to come back. Back from commercial, the heels work over Stevie Ray, and Morris hits a diving elbow drop in one of the few top rope spots to actually succeed to, uh, on this show. I really wish I had more to say about this match. It was just a match. It was nothing special. Yeah, it's kind of a lot of the matches tonight in in the middle of the show. Stevie hits a double clothesline and manages to make the hot tag to Booker. Booker picks up the pace and hits his comeback sequence. He's going up top for the missile dropkick, but the West Texas Rednecks interfere for the disqualification. Harlem Heat then just fight everybody off, and that's the segment. Woo. Like, what? what? Why? (laughs) 
much. I mean, nothing wasn't anything special. It wasn't bad, but I never exactly. for a second thought the first family were going to win. Oh God, no. Then again, and, I guess I thought that about the Wyndhams when they won the title. Well, yeah. What I did find, what I did notice in this match, I guess, Stevie Ray, whenever he was in the match, it was like you're going to do the like standard wrestling move, whatever, and then Booker's going to come in and do the flashy move. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I noticed it more in this match than any other Harlem Heat match before. Like, I know you've said it, but this is the first one. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, Stevie's only there so that Booker can catch his breath for a minute before he goes and does another, like, flying scissor kick or something. Did Booker even tag in before the hot tag? I don't think so. I don't think so, I don't think so either. <laughs> Maybe during the break, but it was like, oh, no. But, um, it's, it's Booker C's world. Stevie Ray's just living just it living in. in. <laughs> well, another match that it's like, why is this match happening? It's the ICP with Vampiro versus Lenny and Lodi. Why? Well, I think it's because they can't have the ICP and uh, the Filthy Animals fight again, right? Okay, just because you can't have them face one person doesn't mean you do, again, heel versus heel, kinda. Kinda. Like, yeah, why Lenny and Lodi? Because they get heat. I don't know. The audience loves to hate them. Like, I I don't know how light Shaggy Tudope is. Is he technically listed as a cruiserweight? Probably. Well, no, Shaggy? Um, I get them so confused. Shaggy probably Violent J, probably not. I would go ahead and guess not. No. <laughs> so, Lenny Lodi come out. Lodi is wearing an like, East Carolina University jersey. Right. You said you'd acknowledge this when we recorded. So, do tell. I don't even know what they're going for here. But that's where Vince McMahon went to school. Another weird tie-in. But it's like, are you having the gay wrestler where that is like, ha, huh, got him? Are they not a rival of a... Uh... UNC Chapel Hill? I mean, maybe a little, but like, not really. No, oh, okay, I no assumed one, it was a rivalry thing. No one gives a shit about East Carolina University. Except for Vince McMahon. <laughs> maybe. There's a chance it was a dig. Or it was just an attempt at a rivalry dig. Like, no, it would have made sense if they came out like a Duke jersey. Yeah, like that gets you yeah. heat. No, no one reacted to this. Yeah, maybe you're right. So the match starts and a fan enters the ring and apparently it's a whole storyline thing. Yeah, so it's probably a plant. Like, 99% sure it's a plant. Oh, it is. And it's the same guy that was following Lenny and Lodi when they couldn't get into the venue a couple weeks ago which, in New York. Which, I don't even remember seeing somebody following them. There was, like, a whole group of people behind their car with, like, Lenny and Lodi signs. Yeah, like, but no one, like no, one, no one did anything, though. No. But, yeah, it's the guy who got thrown out the other week for hitting Lenny with the, with the sign. So, confirmed plant oh, there. okay. Yeah, I don't know that this is going to go anywhere. Are they just trying to, like... I don't know. It doesn't. It has to have something to do with the bigotry. I don't know. Are they trying to, like, make a, make a villain out of the the bigot so that they stop getting the F-slur chance? I don't know. I mean, he didn't say anything. No. Anything. He was holding a Lodi sign last week, so... Are they trying to make him, like, a crazy fan? I think that's what they're going for. Like I said, I don't think this goes anywhere. It's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. I, I was just so excited for you. I'm like, oh, fan, I, fan in the ring. I love fan interference. But this was like, oh, no. It. Yeah, he was kind of jawing with the security too much for it to be real. Well, it was also him, like, avoiding security. Was like, this isn't subtle move. Like, you're no. really running through their legs and they're selling it. And they ran all the way through backstage, too. Yeah. With a camera following. Yeah. That would not happen if this was just a regular fan interference. Both of us were taken aback a little bit, though, about uh, Bobby Heenan's comment about the guy. Oh, my God. Bobby Heenan was just wishing death on this kid. So, yeah, if you get him, you should hang him. Like, yeah, take him shit. out back and hang the kid is what he said. I was like, what the fuck? 
And then he went on later to be like, yeah, we should take that kid to the zoo and tell him to get into the uh, the tiger enclosure and pet the cat. What the fuck, man? I Stop re- wishing death on this guy. I didn't hear the wording as much. I read that more as you get in the ring, you're going to get your ass kicked. It's like getting in the tiger's cage. No, it was telling him to go get mauled by a tiger. It was messed up. Like, I get it, this kid's not doing a good thing, but, like, don't wish fucking... Don't say go hang him in the back parking lot. Yeah. Jesus. Match starts, we, we surely go, go to ringside to show Vampiro's eye, which is all banged up from last night. And Vampiro goes, like, pretty sure there's, you know, stuff going on in the ring. I don't know why you're focusing on me. This is weird. Yeah. There's more important things going on in the ring. We get typical gay panic shenanigans from Letty and Lodi. Oh, my God. The pop for the 69 landing. Oh, we'll get there. Oh, my God. It was disgusting. The pop, not the move. We get a double suplex to Shaggy, but he, his feet hit the ropes on the way down. I'm like, yeah. ooh, that probably wasn't fun. Then we get ICP chance. I was like, oh, okay. And that'll tell you who the face and the heel are for the match. Shaggy manages to get the hot tag to Violent J to no pop, and uh, J cleans house. This is where Lenny and Lodi fall into a 69 position. Do you get it? The absolute roar of applause and cheers from the audience when that happened. It was nasty. It was just gross. Thing- like, oh, they're gay. It's funny. <gasps> it was either after that or after them hugging or something where Tony Schiavone says something to the effect of, nothing like brotherly love, huh, Brain? And Bobby Heenan just goes, well, I don't love my brother like that. <laughs> so there's like a whole incest thing going on now. That's fun. <laughs> I think Bobby does say his brother has pigtails or something, too. Oh, my God. Shaggy Tudo kicks out of a double DDT, and then Lenny and Lodi go to do their finisher, and for some inexplicable reason, Lodi just misses? And, like, it's the finish. He's, he's meant to miss, but he just hits Lenny, and then Shaggy Tudo pins Lenny. It could have been a cool spot if it had, like, finished properly, because I don't think I've seen them do that spot, like correct no they've done it right yeah i i I, a cool move like i feel like violent j was supposed to like push him off the the turnbuckle or something but it was just like it was weird yeah because Lodi that has to like stumble around to not break up the pin vampiro kind of grabs him and it was like what there are certain moves that lenny and Lodi do that i really am just tired of because it just adds to the gay storyline like we get it they're gay whatever the no they're not they're not gay they're brothers they can be gay and also brothers, but not gay for each other. They're gay. It's fine. But there's a move where Lenny will, like, crawl across the ring and go hug Lodi at his waistline and, like, yeah. cower in fear. Like, shut up. And then there's the, like, putting on the brakes in the middle of the, the ring and just stopping and hugging and, oh, it's good. Like, stop it. I know that Lenny can be a good wrestler. I don't know that I know Len- that Lodi is. But I know Lenny can do good wrestling. Or at least fine wrestling i don't need this this is annoying this is just stupid gay bait storyline i just i find it very frustrating yeah no i agree you want, you want to just move on from this yeah i just keep reminding myself it's 1999 this is not something that would ever happen in 2022 it's 1999 Let's move on to uh what's supposed to be chris benoit versus sting for the wcw title benoit g- comes out grabs a mic and he says that sid beat him from pillar to post and he also notes that Sid tapped out. And I'm like, kinda? Yeah, he's saying he went back and rewatched the match. He's like, you tapped out, brother. 
There is a moment where he, Sid's reaching for the ropes and like kind of does a motion similar to that, but Maybe. it wasn't really a, a talking point in the match of like, oh, did he tap out there? So I don't know. It would have been nice to see a clip or or even even an, even a nitro still of like you know here's exactly what had happened, but I guess we should just take his word for it. I guess we have no choice but to believe him. He does know that he beat Dean earlier, and Dean is the best technical wrestler in WCW. Love that respect. Benoit then calls out Sting. We don't get Sting. No. Uh, we don't get any music. Just Rick Steiner walks out. It was so confusing. I couldn't keep up with it because I thought that he was calling out Sid because he was doing all the Sid stuff at the very beginning of his promo. So Rick Steiner walking out made no sense. <laughs> Still makes no sense, even with Sting. Like, it, it's dumb. Steiner grabs a mic and says that Sting has better things to do, and that's your explanation. That's not a good explanation. Th- that that's all you get. That's bad. That's not an ex- that's not an explanation. He then challenges Benoit, which was a weird moment for the dickhead heel to do. Just like, well, you know, you can't get that title match, so I'll give you this title match. It's yeah. Like, it's like, what? Why? I don't get it. Benoit seemingly agrees, and now we have a TV title match. And match starts quick, but slows down pretty shortly there, thereafter. Rick catches Benoit midair with a power slam early on, and then he just works over Benoit for most of this match. Yeah. It's a belly-to-belly suplex, a German suplex. And that German suplex was nasty. Like, minus some strikes early on. Like, Benoit does not get much offense in this. No, he really doesn't. Rick keeps complaining to the ref, and at one point actually throws the ref out of the ring. And Wouldn't that be a DQ? It should be, but... We haven't had a DQ in a while. That's that's probably not true. At least not in this episode. That, we probably had one in Fall Brawl. Yes, we did because Hogan was just choking Sid, Sting oh, with the cable. Oh, with the belt or the cable, yeah. So I don't know if they messed up the timing on this or what, but Rick throws the ref out of the ring and then it's immediately time for the finish because Benoit like rolls up Steiner and the ref has to like hustle into the ring. Steiner kicks out at two when they yeah. just counted as three. He absolutely kicked out. Like, it is undeniable that Rick Steiner kicked out of that. Like, screwdrop levels of, like, no, yes. it's still a pin. No, no. He was absolutely out of that hold, and he hit three. Like, good. I'm glad that Chris Benoit won, but, like, yeah, like they, at they, cost. Like, they weren't even touching at that point. No. So, Steiner beats down Benoit, beats up the ref, and then Dean Malenko just comes out, stares at Rick Steiner, and it's like... Test okay, me. Okay, I'll, I'll stop beating up Chris Benoit. Let's go beat up the ref now. Right. But kind of lost in this is that Chris Benoit is the new television champion. Yeah. So he has a belt. That's cool. So I guess they just wanted to have a belt on him. And they're like, all right, well, you lost to Sid. So here's a different one. This is why I think that Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit like said something to like the booker booking department or something about this is screwy, whatever. And booking was just like, okay, we'll fix this for you. And you'll get your rematch and you'll get a title shot. Just not against Sting. I, I think it's also a matter of, they, like, they didn't ha- really have anything for Rick Steiner to do lately. I mean, yeah. And so he wasn't really putting losing, on good matches, so. And him losing the belt doesn't really matter. But if you took the belt off of Sting, that matters. Oh, yeah. They were going to have they were gonna have Benoit beat Sting. Exactly. So I think this is the best of both I was hoping for the match. Worlds. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a good match. Maybe we'll still get it someday. So we go to commercial with Benoit down and Dean Blanco just standing in the ring. We then get a Revolution hype package. I'm like, sure. Why? I don't Just know. Just why? Just hype him up. Then, then we get the best theme song in WCW right now. 
It is Eddie Guerrero coming out. He'll be facing Perry Saturn. Odd matchup, but not mad about it. Yeah, it's one of those like, why is this? Like, no, shut up. Don't question it. Exactly. Do not question it. This could be good. Shut up. <laughs> Perry comes out with the whole revolution and... Eddie didn't come out with anybody, and then like, as the match starts, Rey Mysterio's music hits, and it, Rey Mysterio, Kidman, and Conan, who we haven't seen in a little while, all come down to the ring. Mm-hmm. Both men actually got pyro during this, and I was like, oh. Eddie got crazy pyro. Yeah, he got like the Ric Flair like swirling pyro kind yeah, of going. cool. I'd said I don't want to move on from Rey coming out too quickly, because Rey Mysterio comes out in, it's gaudy looking, but... It is an outfit entirely comprised of autumn camouflage. It is like orange, gray, white, and brown camouflage uh, overalls. Yellow as well. Was there yellow in that? I don't know. It I don't remember lot. seeing gray. Maybe. Whatever. But, Emily, I think we haven't done it in a while, so it's time for... Who's that Pokemon? And I felt better about this when I asked it, and then when I looked, I was like... I think I'm just thinking of certain types of frogs, which kind of have that look. (laughs) Well, I was trying to go for, like, I immediately got rock type off of him. So I went for the rock types and nothing really matched. So I was having a hard time with it. Did you come up with anything? I came up with one that I'm not thrilled about. All right. I came up with Torkoal. Ooh, I got a hard disagree there in my I don't know. It was hard, man. Even as we were looking up the Pokemon, I was like, yeah, I don't got much. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because I just think mostly of Torkoal's shell. It's like, like Torkoal's mostly black. It's not black. The shell is? It's like gray. Okay, it's, it's Pokemon. They, they do dark gray and they mean black. We're not going to get into that kind of fucking semantics, so shut the hell up. I kind of came up with two options. I don't feel super great about either of them, but uh, I came up with either Landorus or Barrascuta. What and what? Landorus? Yeah. More, I've never even heard of that Pokemon. More theory informed Landorus, but. And Barrascuta? Yeah, I want to say that's a Gen 8 Pokemon. Definitely not Barrascuta. I'll take Landorus, I guess, but I just never even heard of either of these Pokemon. One is Gen 5, one is Gen 8. And yeah, I think with Barrascuta, if that body was a little more like bright yellow, I think it would work really well, but it's just not. Yeah, it's like the same color scheme as, as Torkoal. Where is black on this? The shell. That's not black. It's meant to be black. That is absolutely not meant to be black. The plushie is even gray. I'm saying when they designed it initially, in terms of, you know, it a Game Boy, Game Boy in, Advance. This was not in the Game Boy. Torkoal is a Gen 3 Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is widely acknowledged that that is gray. So I'm sorry. It's not black. Okay. Regardless, there wasn't that much gray. It was mostly yellow, orange, and, and brown. It was camo, whatever. So we're going to go with Torkoal versus Landorus. Landorus. I'll post it on the Instagram. Y'all can pitch in. That said, maybe we are also learning, the more I'm thinking about that outfit, why there is not a Pokemon with that color. It's not a good look. It's not a good look. But when both groups came out, I'm just like, give me an elimination match between these two teams. Just like give them a half hour and just have an eight on eight elimination match. I would love that. I think that'd be a good match. We get a T-bone suplex to Eddie Guerrero early on as Heenan really puts over Eddie here. He's like, you know how much I like Goldberg. I like Eddie Guerrero basically just as much. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. That's good. And then insults his mom's cooking. Oh, did he? I missed that bit. Yeah. He does it often. Something about like like his mom's chili or something. Oh, I bet her chili's delicious. I'm sure it's some joke in the wrestling industry or something. Maybe. 
But I don't know. A Mexican mother making me chili, I will eat every drop out of that bowl. I could tell, like, as soon as this started, I knew this was going to be a good match. I oh, just, yeah. I had a feeling, like, as soon as Eddie came in and he was so Latino heat, I was like, oh, I'm ready for this. This could be good. Even if Perry Saturn couldn't hold his own, which he ended up being able to do very well, I knew I was going to love this. No, we've said it before that Perry Saturn is very good at executing moves. He just needs to be in there with somebody who can help him tell the story. Yeah, I agree. We do get a weird moment in the first third of this match where... They go to a rest hold really quick. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because they were told we're going to commercial because then they're sitting here for a little while. Oh, yeah. Tony Schiavone says, we're going to commercial. And then he's like, oh, maybe not. And they like get up to start doing wrestling and they're like, oh, wait, yeah, I know. Now we're going to commercial. <laughs> it was really weird because they're like, OK, we're cutting to commercial and it didn't cut. It was it was really awkward. But then they, like, they got out of the rest hold. Yeah. They like moved on with the match. It's like, OK, now commercial. It was very weird. And then we get back from commercial and both men are down. We get a urinagi from Eddie, and he goes for a suplex, but Saturn counters it and hits a suplex of his own. Eddie keeps going for the sleeper, which is the base of the story of this match. Saturn does manage to get one on Eddie, but Eddie runs him into the turnbuckle. <laughs> Eddie goes up top for some sort of move, and Saturn catches him, hits a superplex. Guess we haven't seen it in a couple matches, but it just... There were very few moves throughout this show that like ended with somebody jumping off the top rope and landing a move. We get some good back-and-forth snappy action from this, too. It's a little hard to keep track of. Saturn hits a springboard elbow, and then he signals for the Death Valley driver, but Eddie hits a brain buster and goes up top in in a little bit of a kayfabe-breaking move. That you, this is where he would normally go for the frog splash. Instead, he, like, rolls off the top rope, which is good because Saturn moves when he dives. Right. But you need to know Saturn's dodging to do that dive. Right. There was a point where Shane Douglas was on the apron, just like pounding the ring. I guess getting the crowd into it. He was doing that earlier in the Benoit match, too. Yeah, I know. And in both matches, I was like, this is not about you. And I feel like you're trying to make it about you. I'm getting really over Shane Douglas. Saturn and Eddie trade counters until Saturn rolls through and pins Eddie Guerrero. How dare you? The two groups stare down as we go to commercial. I thought there was going to be some sort of in-ring brawl with the two teams, but then they just cut to commercial and come back and everything's fine, I guess? I think it's the fact that they don't really have any beef right now. No. It needs to build. I and mean, this is this is a long build to Halloween Havoc. Yeah. I mean, we're at September 13th. Halloween Havoc is, I want to say, October 24th. Jeez. So we got some time. Throughout this whole match, I didn't know, like, I think right before the pin, I looked at you and said, I don't even know who I've got in this match. Yeah, it was, it was, it was comedic timing because like immediately like pin. But it was, it was so back and forth that I really didn't know who was going to win. I really thought that the back and forth of it and like the uncertainty of how it was going to end added to how much I liked this match. I thought this was great. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely was not a match where it's like, oh, okay, clearly, you know, we're, we're building this guy, so he's going to win. Yeah. As You know, as much as I enjoyed Sid and Benoit from the night before, like, the, the, the result was never in question. Right. This actually didn't have as much behind it of, like, this guy's got to win. Like, there's no question this guy's going to win. Yeah. So that made it more interesting to watch. And it was really good wrestling. I was really impressed with it. Yeah. And we have... We have like three or four more months of the Radicals still here. So if they want to wrestle each other, I'm fine with that. I will not say no. Well, speaking of people who said no, um, uh, the next match is going to be Buff Bagwell, who said no to jobbing to the man he's facing tonight. And spoilers, will be jobbing to <laughs> Berlin with the wall and Uda Ludendorff or whatever. Uda Ludendorff. 
and in a treat that felt special for just me, Uta hops on commentary, and um, oh, buddy, she oh. one she is very obviously reading. I need to ask you, how was her German pronunciation in terms of her reading the lines? I am not fluent by any means. I think it sounded good. It did definitely sound like an American accent, but I think it was good. Yeah, because she's basically doing the Berlin promo, both parts of it, where she is speaking in German and then translating what she just said. It was really awkward because it was like German. Buff says what she just said in, in German, in English. She's translating herself. It was weird. Yeah. She also doesn't know where to emphasize in sentences. No, she's not a good talker. To add to that, Tony Schiavone is like, you know, you can basically, you're on commentary. You can say whatever you want. Go, go say ahead. Say it. Go ahead. Say a word. Talk. And just like, nope. Oh, and we need to mention during Buff's entrance, we thought the building was going to burn down. Oh my God, there was a fire on stage from his pyro. For like a split second. Like they didn't even have to put it out. It just burnt itself out. But. No, but as he was walking in, like when we noticed it, I noticed somebody on the side of Buff point at it. And as he pointed at it, it did kind of like fizzle down. So I think that guy was ready to be like, somebody go fucking get that. Yeah. Match starts. Buff showboats early on and it costs him. Buff gets fired up and goes up to the top rope. Would you believe it? He gets caught in Berlin, hits a superplex, and I'm like, this is like the fourth or fifth one of these in the night. Let it land, dude. There were a lot of USA chants as well. Prompted by Buff, I mean. The wall is roaming around the outside. He has the taped up fist, and he keeps trying to go over and punch Buff. Uh, he probably could have done it several times, but he's just taken so much time to be like, now? No? No? No, 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 no. There was a point where Buff's head, entire head, was over the edge, like over the apron, yeah. hanging down. I'm like, dude, right? That That's when. That's a win. Like, I think even Buff was like, now. Do it fucking now. He gets caught trying to do, do that twice at various points. Buff starts a comeback, and I couldn't tell. I'm like, is he gassed or just unmotivated? Because he did not, he didn't even bring his B game here. I'm going with unmotivated, based on last week. Yeah. No motivation. Like, he doesn't strut. I think he does, like, one, maybe two hops, and it's like, you usually are way more obnoxious about this. Yeah, his heart was not in it. Buff gets dropped on the, on the top rope, and then the wall punches him. Berlin hits his neckbreaker and pins Buff Bagwell in a match that should have been on pay-per-view last night, but uh, was lackluster even for Nitro. Yep. This was nothing special. Nope. Um I honestly got a lot more enjoyment of just how bad Uda was on commentary. Oh, yeah. You were loving Uda. I just kept looking over and Nick was just giggling. She was so bad. Because <laughs> his catchphrase is losing is unacceptable. And Uda has not figured out what to emphasize where in that sentence. No. Because she hits the note like three times. And literally the last one is she's like, and once again, losing is unacceptable. <laughs> I think even I'm doing a better line. You rating. are, you you really are. As we said, losing is unacceptable. Something that, like that. That's even better. God damn, I don't know. You're right because you're emphasizing something. You're right. I can't do it. Neither here nor there. It's like losing is unacceptable. Like, I don't know. She's the same promo level as like as like Linda McMahon, and that's not saying. Anything. Oh, she is comparable to Linda. <laughs> Remember wheelchair Linda. The best Linda. Oh man. So as much as I'm doing a slam piece on Uda here, what the fuck is this next segment? This next segment is a political campaign ad against Sting. Literally, it is a video cataloging Sting's career and going, we never should have trusted this motherfucker. 
It's basically painting him as this untrustworthy and vengeful character. And just to note, as we're talking about this, this doesn't end with any sort of like paid for by DDP or, you know. It may as well have paid for no, by the offices no, of DDP. No, that would have made sense. Yeah. This is just WCW going, I can't believe he turned his back on everyone like this. They I'm Hulk Hogan and I approve this message or something like that. They fucking accuse him of driving the White Hummer. A story that we just can't drop. And I can't get the exact words verbatim, but they basically go, and after the White Hummer, Sting showed up in a Hummer. Remember? <laughs> With like the slow zoom and everything too. It's like, what on earth are we watching? She's a stunt granny. <laughs> Sting oh wasn't God. driving the Hummer, but they don't know the secrets. Oh my God. Get Salem the cat in here right now. It was wild. But, but like, there's also, it also incorporates like the fake Sting and it's like, mm-hmm. was Sting behind the fake Sting all along? Not the fake Stings. The bogus Sting. Bogus. Remember it's 1999. <laughs> They never called it fake sting. It was always bogus sting. Oh, God. But, yeah, like, everything he's ever done, it was like, he didn't want to help WCW against the NWO. And then he joined the Wolfpack, and they're like, he joined pretty fucking quick, didn't he? What's this all about? <laughs> it was so bizarro world. Like, like it had it had the energy of someone making a video about Brie Larson around the time uh, Captain Marvel came out, just overanalyzing every interview clip that oh she's ever God. done. That was the energy behind this. It was. It was. Why does Sting hate men? Huh? But yeah, it was bizarre. So basically, we should never have trusted Sting, and why should we trust him now? He's a he's a a vengeful god. Sting is. And we're gonna see him next. Because it's Michael Buffer time. Hell yeah. Buffer, who does a very long extended intro, basically explaining that a tag team match is a thing. Did you know this? I really didn't. I know he just kind of tends to ramble on. He but does, so he, I, I tone him out. Yeah, he talks a, for a long while before anybody comes out. It's kind of weird. The match is, as challenged earlier, Sing and Lex Luger versus Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart. And Luger was not lying about not having his gear because he wrestles this match in street clothes. Well, he did say that he doesn't have his gear. Yeah, but some people say that and they show up in gear. Yeah, I know. But he actually followed through. And in a moment, I knew killed that man inside. Hulk Hogan's music hits. Hulk Hogan comes out. And a few steps behind, there's Bret Hart. It was weird. This is Bret Hart's return to wrestling. This is. You're right. This is the first match. Which... Let's talk about Bret Hart's promo from last week, shall we? Oh, no. I won't make a decision on whether or not I'm back until I face Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. He did say that. I guess you're back and you're teaming with And I'm back in black and pink. And pink. (laughs) Yeah, it did not make sense why he was teaming with Hogan when he was like, I want to fight against Hogan. I think this reeks of something we often forget about in this podcast. Money. No, two famous words in the world of Hulk Hogan, creative control. We forget about that pretty often on this podcast. And every now and again, I go, oh, right. This is why everyone's Hulk Hogan's best friend. This is why we get so many segments about how kind of a father he is and how much he and Nitro Nick bond over their love for their friends. Well, Nitro Nick is now, you know, secure in his love for his father because Sting was the bad guy all along. You're right. Of course. His father would never lie. That's who made the video. Nitro Nick. Nick. (laughs) 
He's like, he just felt so betrayed. He had to. He had to slam his father's enemy. So when they come out, Brett brawls with Luger at ringside to start the match. Hogan and Sting head inside. I thought this was going to be like two minutes at first. I was hopeful that it would be two minutes. Yeah, it did go substantially longer than that. I just didn't, I didn't make much of a note of it. Again, it's a match, and I figured, like, you know what? Something fucky's going to happen later, so you know what? Until then, I'm clocking out. Hogan dominates Sting and tags Brett in. Brett hits a backbreaker and then his headbutt to the stomach. Sting rakes the eyes and gains the advantage. You know, raking the eyes. Definitely only a move a heel would do. Absolutely. Definitely not the move of a face who wears yellow and red. Right, and that face would never, like, take off a belt and whip his buddy or choke his buddy with a cable or anything. That would never happen. We get a double clothesline from Sting and Brett, and both men are down. Sting tags in Luger, and that was the reason why I thought this match was going to go two minutes, because, like, yeah, Luger's not in wrestling gear. Right. Luger misses an elbow drop, and Hart tags in Hogan to no pop. Big boot to Luger, and I'm like, oh, here we go. Sting then comes in to distract Hogan, and Luger hits Hogan with a forearm shot. Commentary didn't acknowledge this, but I don't know if it's still a thing they're doing with Lex Luger. Lex Luger had to have surgery on one of his two arms a while back. Okay. They put a metal plate in his arm. Ew. Well. Oh, are they trying to play that as a weapon shot? Oh, yes. They, no. they, they did that, even though that's not how that works at all. No. Or at least WWF did that. I assume WWE probably oh, did Lord. as well. But I'm like, is that what they're going for here with with the forearm shot? I mean, maybe. Yeah, commentary just didn't say anything about it. So I'm like, is that the metal plate? That's so fucked up. Sting tags in and hits a top rope splash, which we were surprised. One, didn't get countered by him getting thrown from the top rope. Two, that he actually hit it. And then three, just how goddamn flaily Sting splashes. Oh, I know. The heels work over Hogan with strikes. And Hogan stops a turnbuckle smash from Luger. And then smashes Luger's head nine times into the turnbuckle, and it kills me every time, Hulk. Do it ten. Just do it ten times. Luger kicks out Hogan's knee and gets back on offense. Sting hits a suplex, but Hogan immediately gets up and no-sells, which doesn't really lead to much, because Sting then just wrestles Hogan to the ground by going after his knee. Hogan manages to tag in Brett, who fights off both men, hits a Russian leg sweep and a backbreaker on Sting, and follows it up with a Brett's rope elbow drop. That appropriate use of that for well, you? Yes. In the ring, Hogan hits a big boot to Luger, and then all of a sudden, DDP runs out. With a bat. Yeah, Brett locks in the sharpshooter on Sting. Hogan manages to fight off DDP, but Luger manages to get the baseball bat, and he hits Bret Hart right in the face with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he clipped him for real or Brett's really good at selling, but it... It could have been either. It looked concerning. And uh, Sting gets the pin in Bret Hart's return match. And the winners just kind of walk off up the ramp as Medic is coming and running to Bret Hart's aid. And it just kind of like fades off air while Medics are just pressing a towel into Bret's face. Yeah, they definitely want to see if it's actually yeah. blood or not. But yeah, this was an all right match. Lackluster for Bret Hart's yeah, return. Absolutely. Overall, meh. Like, I mean, I guess I don't know what you're going to do, but like... I would have been happier with do like Brett versus Sting for 15 minutes and then have Luger come interfere. Yeah. Like it's a bullshit ending, but the actual match itself might be better. It would have been a little bit more warranted, I guess. Yeah. And they like didn't really acknowledge at all that, you know, first episode of the podcast, Bret Hart takes out Sting for like six months Mm -hmm. and I don't know, maybe they will next week. That's not even acknowledged as like a storyline of any sort. 
Yeah, I mean, again, we got a long build to uh, Halloween Havoc. It doesn't look like we're going to do Brett versus Hogan, so, but they've also kind of bailed on uh, that being the only match that could get Brett back. So True. I'm guessing Hogan and Sting again, and then I guess Luger and Brett and mm. Goldberg and Sid, and we'll see where else we go from there. I guess. Curious to see if Berlin has anything to do or if he's still going to be wrapped up with Buff. I hope he has something else to do. I mean, if it's going to continue to be matches against, like, a really underwhelming buff, like, if if it keeps being so clear that buff doesn't want to be there, it's just going to lead to bad matches. And we know that Berlin slash Alex Wright can hold his own in a match and do very well. I don't want him to be squandered by fucking Buff Bagwell being in a bad mood all the time. Yeah. Thoughts on the show as a whole? Overall, did not hate it. Which yeah. is a glowing review from me recently. Yeah, I think the only duds were designed to be duds. Exactly. I still think production had something to do, and I say production because I mean production, had something to do with that Disco Inferno match. Yeah, I mean, occasionally they do that. I mean, the other instance that comes to mind is uh, Steve Austin coming out during a Landstorm match and chanting boring. Yeah, but this, this just felt so different. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'd say, you know, probably the worst match that actually was meant to be decent was was the brits versus the rednecks yeah and even then it's like why is this match happening there was no need there was no reason but yeah overall not a bad nitro yeah especially compared to the last few oh weeks my god oh yeah my this god. is a breath of fresh air if they put this on during one of those two weeks you know maybe we would probably applaud them for it yeah especially like opening up hot yeah we'd be like good job guys you are actually doing the right thing it no. it did feel like a different show considering it's the first one since eric bischoff's been gone mm-hmm it the, did feel different. You're the right. problem is we're in nitro purgatory right now. Yeah. And we'll be there until October. Yeah. So we have like a month. Yeah. The, this and the next four weeks of nitro are just, you know, we, it's unclear who's calling the shots, but uh, they're not, not going to be calling the shots for long. I'm guessing it's Hogan that's calling the shots. From what I can tell, it's some mix of Nash, Kevin Sullivan and like Dusty Rhodes or something. But it can't be Nash. He's not in. He he got retired. He's not here. Don't forget, we are going to watch a, a Thunder in which Kevin Nash will be doing commentary right before Russo gets in. Listen, I'm not excited for it. I think it's going to be great. That's why we're doing it. Ugh. But let's move into best bit and MVP. Emily, what is your best bit? Even with all the praise we're giving this episode, it was kind of hard to find a best bit and MVP. That said, I'm giving my best bit to the match that I gushed over. The Eddie Guerrero and Perry Saturn match, like, that was great. And I should never have doubted that it was going to be great. So, yeah, obviously that's my best bit. I was going to give my best bit to Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit's yeah. match. And the more I think about it, there is nothing more wild and that gave me more enjoyment on this show than that sting slam piece oh that's fair that is fair. I, I it came out of nowhere and I, we were just both so bewildered by it that i'm like i, I want to go rewatch it at this point and yeah be like because it just tries to like tie everything in it's thorough i will give it that oh it is thorough it goes back through the whole history of sting yeah face paints that i had never seen emily who is your mvp can i ask you to go first I guess just this one time. Why does it have to be in order? I don't know. It's just a system. It's not. Um, ironically, my MVP is somebody that I feel like you forget about uh, once this segment's done. I almost gave it to Eddie, but 
I thought Ric Flair cut a really good promo prior to Sting coming out. He did. He brought an energy to the show, and that's kind of sometimes just what we need is bringing the energy of something different. Not always necessarily something new, but... Yeah, I was considering him for my MVP, but I think if he had shown up in one other segment and showed that same energy, then I think that I would have given it to him. So that's why I couldn't. I guess I'm going to give it to Eddie Guerrero. Okay. It was a good match. Yeah, he did I think, well, I guess. I think that's the, that's the two yeah. kind of options here. Yeah, other note on the Ric Flair thing is it helps solidify Sting is, oh, dude, okay, you are a heel. Yeah, for sure. So I just wish I saw more of Ric Flair, which is something yeah. that I never thought that I would say. I don't know where he fits into uh, Halloween Havoc. Yeah, I don't know, but he's back, and he's back in black. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Bust in the Seats podcast. Next up is not the next Nitro. Next yes. up is ECW. We're going back to the world of extreme. Land of extreme. We're going back to the land of extreme. Anarchy rules, I'm 1999. So I have no memory of what the main event of that is. Like, Are we getting some Heyman time? Probably not. Damn it. So that'll be the next episode. After that, it will go back to our regularly scheduled programming for WCW. We are still on the way to Russo time. We're still on pace to hit it by by the uh, whatever year anniversary. It's not it's not a nice even year. It's the twenty three year anniversary. Whatever, it'll be great. But we'll hit it on the day. I swear. Until then, you can listen to all of our back catalog, including all of our previous ECW episodes. Although I don't know how much they'll really tie in, considering we were doing like every other one for ninety nine. That's true. Yeah. We can find all them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. You can also follow us on social media at Butts in the Pod on Twitter and Instagram, where both of us probably need to post more stuff. And on Facebook at the Butts in the Seats Podcast. Emily, any uh, closing notes before we out of here? I feel like we're in a better mood than a lot of times when we end these shows. Usually when we end these, we are like desperately trying to trudge to the end. We're like, oh, I just want to get the fuck out of here. Turn yeah. the mics off. Let's go get a drink. It's me and Gene in a SummerSlam interview. Just fuck it. But until we see you in the land of extreme, I'm Nick. I'm Emily. And thanks for listening to the Bus and Seats podcast. Yeah.